This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 186, Biking Antarctica, with Dr. Kate Leeming. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today's guest is Dr. Kate Leeming. Kate has bicycled, a distance equivalent to going around the planet two times at the equator. She has biked across Siberia. She has biked through 20 different countries of Africa. She has biked in Greenland. And now, believe it or not, she is headed to Antarctica to bike across the continent, and through the South Pole. Kate, we got to hear more about this. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Kurt. Great to be there. Well, Kate, I uh, mentioned a couple of things about you, but tell the listeners who you are. Who is Dr. Kate Leeming? Uh, so, yeah, I, I grew up in a, on, a, on a farm in Western Australia, so about um, 80 miles northeast of Perth. And um, went away to, to boarding school and, and to university in, in, in Perth. And then I always sort of really wanted to see the world but never really had the opportunity till after university. And that's when I, I, I travelled to the, to the United Kingdom first playing field hockey. And after that I did a little cycle journey in Ireland and I really loved that. And then I planned a bigger journey in, in, in Europe and then sort of little trips led to bigger trips. And over the space of the next couple of years I cycled um, about 15,000 kilometers, so I don't know, nine, nine or 10,000 miles uh, through Europe, just as my personal discovery of Europe. And that's where I really, you know, discovered my passion. So, you know, I, I just started off just, just um, planning things. And then I really sort of found the, the fact that I, you know, I really loved the really close connection you make with the people and the land. And, I really love the idea of bringing a line on a map to life. And, and I think cycling tends to give a great sense of place. That means like a, a perspective of how the world fits together. And, and so that, that was my personal discovery of Europe all the way up as far east as, uh, Turkey and all the way up to the Nordcap, um, the most northerly tip of Europe. And then after that, sort of my sights got a little bit bigger. I got a little bit more ambitious. And at the same time, I met a, a guy called Robert Swan, who's a polar explorer. He's uh, the first person to have walked both the North and South Poles. And and Robert sort of became like a, a mentor and really sort of taught me that there was much more value to what I was doing than simply riding a bike. And and so from that point on, my major expeditions, I've always tried to to create much more value. And I think Robert gave me a lot of confidence as well. So then I organized the Trans-Siberian Cycle Expedition, which was a 
13 and a half thousand kilometer journey and I can do that in miles, 8,304 miles uh, from St. Petersburg to Vladivostok with a couple of extra diversions. And that was aiding the children affected by the Chernobyl disaster. And that was a, just an incredible journey because in, in the US and, and Australia, you know, it's sort of, we grow up, grew up and sort of thinking of, of Russia or the former Soviet Union as being this sort of communist enemy in a place of mystery. We didn't really know much about it. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the Iron Curtain came down and, and there were no more restricted areas. And so it was an opportunity to, to really see what was there from, you know, right through European Russia and then four months across Siberia through, you know, more than about a thousand miles where there was just swamp where we had to follow the railway line. Um, and and just little side tracks along the side. So when they went underwater, with there were no bridges, so we had to push our bikes along the railway line. So that was an amazing trip. Um, uh, other major trips, uh, Australia, as you mentioned. So that was a, a twenty five thousand kilometres uh, journey uh, through Australia. So if you went around the edge, Australia is about the same size as the US mainland US. Take out Alaska. Um, to give you an idea, if you were superimposed the map, a map of Australia over the top, it's about the same size. So imagine that. And, but it's like to go around the edges about 14,000 kilometers, but this is 25,000. So there's actually 7,000 kilometers off road on very remote tracks up to the tip of Cape York, the most northerly point in Australia. And also like a big triangle in the middle going right through the, you know, several of the deserts and including this amazing track called the Canning Stock Route, um, which I have. One of my pioneering family members actually reconditioned back in 1929. So, so that was the Great Australian Expedition, Cycle Expedition, and that was about education for sustainable development. So I was looking at how the land needed to be managed and sustained, and I had an education program um, which was supported by uh, UNESCO there. And then after that, my sites got a little bit more ambitious once more, uh, and I cycled – uh, I, I organized, it took about 18 months to organize this, the Breaking the Cycle in Africa expedition, which is in 2009 and 10, uh, which was a 10-month journey from the most westerly tip in uh, Senegal, just west of Dakar and Senegal uh, of Africa, to the most easterly tip, which is in Puntland in, in Somalia, so through 20 different countries in a continuous line without breaking the line of my journey. And this was... You know, I really wanted to show people what Africa was really like because, because often, you know, we get fairly negative stories and we hear, you know, only poverty and war and famine and all these bad things about Africa. And in fact, you know, initially I was pretty, I wouldn't have had the confidence to go through it because I, you know, we, we just get, we hear these negative stories, especially through the media. But, but actually I knew other people cycled it and when I really researched it, I worked out it really was possible, and this was an, a particularly interesting route. And um, the reason I chose that route was because, um, uh, you know, I have a, a real um, passion for the importance of education. And I was looking at a map of Africa, looking at the countries most in need of improved education, and and I could see this band of countries running west to east through the Sahel, which is like. Um, just below the Sahara Desert, it's the, it's, it's the shoreline of the desert. So it's this 300-kilometer strip across Africa from west to east. And I started looking at these countries, and then I looked at the reasons why education was such a problem. And then I realized I had to look at all the causes and effects of extreme poverty. And that's that's kind of how that 
that root was born. And so, therefore, the whole purpose of breaking the cycle in Africa was to explore the causes and effects of extreme poverty, but specifically what's been done to give a leg up rather than a handout. So, so I was really trying to create a story there. So they're my big expeditions, and that's how I got into it. Mm. And um, so each of my expeditions, the major ones, I spend just as much time planning and uh, trying to create a story and to try and create understanding about the places that I travel through and contribute to education. And and that's, yeah, that that's kind of, in a nutshell, what I've been doing for, for quite some time now. So, Well, Kate, that's amazing. The, the trips that you've gone on, the things that you've done, the places that you've seen, the people that you've met, you know, I think there are a lot of our listeners who have to be envious right now. And to do it all on a bicycle at a, at a pace where you can really connect with the land and with the people um, just must have been a fascinating experience. I think so. I, I, you know, I chose initially chose the bike um, just because, you know, I'm sort of an athlete as well. And I, I've done, you know, I'm sort of an all-round sports person. I just, that really appealed to me. But then I've started to sort of not do other things, just kind of make cycling what I do and get really sort of, good at that so um so each expedition sort of presents a new challenge and i try and do more with it and try and create more value out of it so so i'm always motivated to see the world and understand how it fits together but but then use that to really inspire others hopefully to to do the same it is possible you start from smaller steps and and uh and and see where that takes you well, it sounds like cycling through Europe is really what connected you with, with traveling by bicycle. Yeah. And then you met Robert, and he said, hey, there's a lot more you can do with this. But what was it that really plugged you into the idea of these mega adventures? Um, I guess I'm, I'm curious to, to push my – you know, I believe it's um, – I believe it's a real privilege to be able to do these things. I, I gradually learnt that, you know, it's not just a ride, it's, it's a privilege that you can create. And and I guess with each expedition, it's kind of like the next vision's got a bit bigger. So I, I've learnt from the last one, even just my journey through Europe, you know, I've learned, I thought, oh, okay, I can do all these things. Can I take those skills now and what can I do with those? And so each time it just seems to get a little bit bigger. You know, you go through... Uh, each one I, I gradually developed the pattern you go through you, you have the vision you have the organization work out what you need to do and you do all the research and, and and apart from Europe the others I've had to find sponsors Europe was self-funded um, and what are you going to do with those things so so then I, I, I learn I do the expedition and then I've spent a lot of time analyzing and, and working you know documenting you know whether it's books um, I've written two books um, and, and more recently been doing, you know, uh, films as well. So, um, you know, each, each thing I, I'm actually learning more skills, you know, start off being a, like a, an athlete and a cyclist who's curious and wanting to see the world. But then I've had to develop all sorts of other skills on top of that. So that, that seems to keep growing as I get more, more skills. So, so, um, yeah, I look, I look ahead rather than behind and, and mm. try and work out what I can do with the best of my ability. Well, it's a it's an amazing life that you've set up here doing these expeditions. Let's dive into Africa a little bit. What was it like to bike across Africa? I think, uh, you know, just getting up every morning and jumping on the bike and heading across. It, what was that experience like in general? 
Uh, I guess Africa, you've got to think of as, you know, it's the second largest continent in the world. It's the most diverse continent in the world with, you know, more different cultures and more different environments. And, um, and, and so there's just this incredible diversity. And, and so even when times are tough, you know, I, you know, I always look ahead first and think of all these things I was looking forward to seeing and do, doing and, you know, what would it be like to cycle across the Somali plains at the finish when, you know, people, you know, this is a country in war, you know, and yet, yet this was going to be possible. And, and, you know, I was always buoyed by the, the many different cultures and people that I was, I was meeting and, and working with. And, and I also think that, um, you know, I spent 18 months planning and organizing and organizing the um, security and, and all the logistics. And I had an education program. I had the education department back in Australia, kids following it. Um, I was never going to give up or anything like that. And and so I was really – it was never lost on me, the, the privilege that it was and, and, and the great adventure that it, that it was. Um, uh, but – yeah, you can imagine cycling. If you're cycling 130 kilometers or 80, 80-ish miles a day, you know it's pretty hard work through all sorts of terrain. Not just one day, but to do this month on, you know, day on day, week on week, month on month, with with a few breaks. I don't just just go blind, you know, blindly. You know, especially because I was planning to visit different projects, so I was. In Africa, my mind was always really busy because I was um, trying to set up things in advance to make it run smoothly, and that wasn't easy. So especially sometimes the communications weren't good. So I, I had, if you say from day to day, it was it was amazing to see all this diversity and the landscape sort of unfold before my eyes and meeting all these different cultures. But then I was also really busy at ensuring that everything else was working as well. And this was the first time I did it because we were filming it, it was the first time I did it in a team, and that made it much more complex than just doing it for myself as I had, or just myself and maybe one other person in the past. Um, so this was just had so many more sort of moving parts to it. So I was constantly for that working hard for that 10 months, whether it was writing journals. and my, in the, On my days off, I worked even harder sometimes than I did on the bike. It was almost a relief to get on, back on the bike. So, <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> Well, well, yeah. when you put in the the film crews and uh, all that sort of thing, and you make a a working trip out of it, it sh- certainly changes the dynamic. Would you like to go back and do it just solo, where you could do it at a different pace and and interact with the uh, the people in the landscape in a different way? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of even though we had sort of people filming it, um, it wasn't a big sort of circus by any means. All we used was um. One land, uh, sort of old Land Rover. I, I employed um, a, a, an experienced driver from who was from Scottish, and he drove his Land Rover down. So it was just, at sometimes it was just him and me when, and, and or he, he and me and and one uh, cameraman. That's it. So it was very. We could still slip through under the net, which was pretty good. And um, um, you know, there, there was a little bit of flexibility, although to make it work within the seasons and everything it had to sort of fit to the schedule and I also only had a certain budget so I had to work to that um so whether I I love I mean I do plan to go back and I do plan to go back and support some of those communities that I I met and learned so much about um uh and I plan to do other smaller trips through Africa not necessarily not challenging but um 
it's just the way I do things. Yeah, it'd be nice to spend a bit more time in an ideal world. You could you could spend your whole life there. Oh, <laughs> then, yeah. Um, you know, you say it's an incredible place. Uh, sometimes it's frustrating or very sad, and other times it's just vibrant and colourful and loud. <laughs> it, it's everything. So Sure. Um, it, it's now, I guess, Africa is a little bit of a part of me, you know. Um, you know, every place that I travel, you know, it becomes, it, it affects you in some way. So, so it all goes into the melting pot to, to, to my own view of the world and, and how I perceive it and how I, uh, display it to other people, I guess. So. Yeah, isn't that the reason to travel and do adventures? It's, it's because of the impact that it has on us and the impact the potential for the impact that we can have for others. So, I think so. And I think also, it, you know, in this world where, you you know, we keep hearing bad news all the time on the TV and, and if you only listen to that, you think this whole world's a difficult, dangerous, nasty place, but it's actually not. And you need to get out there to explore, to, to open your own views up about the world, to make better decisions. You know, if you use adventure to... You know, you, you'll be a better leader in, 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 in the future. You'll be able to make better, more balanced decisions. And I think that's, I guess that's what I want to pass on to the next generation as well, to really get out and explore the world. So, Oh, yeah. Well, you mentioned poverty in Africa and challenges for education in Africa. Let's dive into that a little bit. You even wrote a book about it in Jinga. Yeah. So tell us what you discovered when you were biking across Africa. <laughs> it's a, it's it's such an enormously complex issue that's that's not just Africa it's every, it, it's in every country in the world but um yeah it, it it's very difficult to to generalize but when you know if 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 a country's been a in war or b you know th- there are many different factors of affecting um various circumstances whether it's cultural whether it's war whether it's drought or famine um, sometimes that 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 famine's usually brought on because of other situations whether it's war political situations you know it, it, it's just enormously complex and it's very hard to generalize you know you, you listen you hear the millennium development goals or now the new sustainable development goals and they which are, have moved on are, are more specific and more practical actually and, and you you want to be able to like um, categorize all these problems into and that's what I was wanting to do at the start, you know, saying, oh, this is about education or this is about um, health or or HIV AIDS in particular or, um, you know, all, all these environmental factors. But actually, mostly it's a mix of all these things. Um, but but I guess at the crux of all of that, if, if you really improve people's education, uh, then then they will find their own way out of poverty. Um, in the long term, it's not a short-term fix; it's a long-term fix, and and you can pour all the money you like into certain certain places, but without the local leaders and local community development, uh, and and without um, without people being literate and being able to read and write and, and make their own decisions and and sort of you know if it's a woman you know understanding the health of uh, mater- about maternal health or about how to look after her children you know then that's not going to work so you need to it, it's education first i mean you've got to look after people's health in the or short term things and, and ensure stability but then it's really the, the long 
term, the long way out of it is, is really about education in my view. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bentgate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bentgate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bentgate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkle, an Olympic trials athlete, to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge. All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen-carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hard-working muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses Biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month thru-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at BiotropicLabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE. when I was eating my breakfast. <laughs> I, I was thinking about how fascinating it is that people used to spend the vast majority of their time gathering food or hunting and trying to provide just food for themselves. And then you look through the history of the human race, and we're at a point now where we mass produce our food. We have distribution and delivery systems where the food can travel all over the globe. And we even have government systems that buy food from the farmers because there's too much of it. Yeah, yeah. And then you go places like Africa and other places around the world where people literally are struggling for the next meal. And I just think it's a strange system in our world today that we can mass produce food and produce more food than the world needs, and yet there are people who are still starving. Yeah, there are because of all those other circumstances in between. And, you know, even if you go to, say, Ethiopia... You know, a lot of that land is, is unbelievably fertile. It's incredibly fertile, yet you can have a famine in one part and you can have plenty in another part because there's no distribution. The government's, although it's, um, it's, it is moving forwards, I guess, and, and it is encouraging, um, businesses and there's quite a lot of business coming in there and, but it's just, somehow it's just not coordinated. <laughs> and, and so you have, you have both. You have this this famine in one part and droughts or what it you know and 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 floods in another part you know and 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 plenty of food in other parts and 
and uh, people disaffected in different areas and other people that are really happy and moving forwards and changing fast. So many countries that I noticed, it, it happens, it's, it's varied a lot just in the one country, not just in the whole continent or the whole world. Yeah, I think it's it's really it's up to if we can get political stability and 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 good systems developing, then those those problems will start to to dissipate. Say in in the US where you have certainly um, farmers are subsidised for food. They're not in Australia actually, but in the US or, or Europe, you know, you get lots of farm subsidies. You get people paid more than the the food is worth, or you get the other way around where and that's this is happening in Australia too where. For a farmer to survive, they've got to they've got to have more and more land and produce more and more. Just so there are fewer farmers because they have to have more land, hmm. and, and and so as you say, it becomes more mechanized mechanized. But then I don't know if that's totally the way of the world because all that food in that situation has to travel. You know, it has to it has a lot of air miles. It has to travel a long way. Um, in in Europe, you know, they argue about. Sometimes, you know, bananas should be five and a half inches long and not too bent. You know, what's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> That's an example that just makes, makes me laugh a lot. You know, it's not that important in, in uh, Senegal. Right. <laughs> and, and in Senegal, you know, I saw onions that are produced in Holland, you know, in, in the Netherlands. And I was going, what's this all about? These people are trying to make a living. They've got fertile or good enough land. But because of bad management, you know, the, the Senegal River has been, the flooding system has been messed up and, and the traditional farmers are not able to produce. They've lost their crops and they're getting food in from, from the Netherlands. And, and it's just, it's just all wrong because, you know, it's mismanagement in that situation. So it's a complex world and, um, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's not a simple thing, but there are, if, if communities learn to produce enough food for themselves, but then also be able to understand how to store things and how to um, do the banking right, those you know, it, it's not just one thing. It's 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 bringing everyone up to speed, and then they'll look after themselves. I think. Mm. You know, I, I like what you say there. It's not just one thing. No, it's I, not. Yeah, I believe people often want to what I call pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> they want yeah. to say this is the reason. This yep. is what the problem is. If we could just fix that. Mm. But these issues are more complex. They're localized, they're regional, and they're global. Totally. So so, so in Africa, you see the, where people are doing thriving and doing really well, it tends to be where they've got really good community leaders, and mm. it tends to be where uh, the women have a higher status. So, um, so you educate the women, and then suddenly educated women, women have – a smaller smaller families that are, tend to be healthier they look after them they get those those families get better educated and and they start to and they tend to have an income so that you know educated women tend to have more of an income whereas um, and so that all that they tend to plow more of what they earn back into into families into their own families like I heard some statistics for example the men tend to put about 40% of what they earn back into the family. The woman tends to put 80% of what they earn back into the family. So so if you educate the women especially and, and you have good community leadership that understands why it's important to educate everybody, not just girls but boys, both, everyone, then, then those communities are stronger and they tend to do better. Each community is like a cell and does better, then, then you'll tend to have a healthier country or healthier world. 
Well, that kind of brings us full circle then back, you know, to adventure travel and all that you learned and the perspectives that you gained and the awareness now, because you've done these major expeditions, um, people want to hear about it. And that allows you the opportunity to create awareness about the issues that are going on in various places around the globe. And that's a beautiful thing. I think that's a, a really neat, large scale reason to be an, an explorer. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is real purpose to that. I mean, I guess growing up, you know, I was, um, you know, you, you, you tend to go through the system. You go to, you know, primary school, secondary school. I went, I went on to tertiary and then the idea would be, you know, to go, go back and get a job and, you know, do a sort of a what's expected. But, but gradually I actually found, I listened to myself and realized and, and found this path that I've, I've gone on to. And which is, I guess a lot of people think, oh, this is unusual. It's, it's not really. It's just what I've actually followed my natural path and tried to, to develop the things that I'm good at. And then mm. in the process have to develop a few things that I'm not good at to, to, to get through. But, um, it'd be cool if people could not say not, not conform, but, but just to, to listen to, to their passions and try, because if you're passionate about something, um, your life will be much more fulfilled if you follow that, and and um, and uh, you know you will be productive even if it's a, a less usual path. So to be able to share that and to be able to use that to inspire other people, I I, I try to only educate people with what I feel I'm qualified to to say. But um, you know, it, it's really up to to others to go out and 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 make those decisions themselves i can present the information and i can give a few opinions but but then then it's up to others to run with that and to go out and find it out for themselves and then they'll have their opinions which may or may, may not be the same as mine sure you bet so your book in jinga that's n-j-i-n-g-a in jinga mm-hmm. talks a lot more about this africa trip and and these challenges yeah. there yeah well i i had this vision you know we're saying we wanted to Put poverty sort of into certain certain reasons for it, and there certainly are very broad reasons for it. But then it's it's kind of much more complex than that. So Njinga is is my attempt to talk about a journey to give to to display Africa in a, in a realistic perspective. So you know, there's always a way through as well. It's it's a positive story of hope. Um, actually, the word Njinga means bicycle in a Zambian language, and it comes up. In the story, when I'm introduced, it was a World Bicycle Relief Project, and I was introduced to a, a, a lady called Emma who had AIDS, and she thought she was going to die. But this this woman had just the most incredible spirit, and she was diagnosed and cared for, and she's now got another productive life. And sort of when I went in and sat down with her, I didn't know what was wrong with her. And, you know, I was introduced and said, you know, I've cycled 17,000 kilometers from Senegal, and I'm in Zambia, and it, like, kind of blew her mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and and she's just you know if you get to see my film Jinga, and there's a TV series just about to be completed, um, you you'll see this this wonderful woman Emma, and that's that's where Jinga com- comes from. Um, and so I thought it was kind of really at the heart of it this this incredible spirit of this strong woman who's looked at death in the face, come back, and she's just you know she's got a family and 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 a meaningful life. You know, so she had a new lease of life, I guess, and 
so that's why the book's called that. And and um, Njinga also means um, it was a, a, a 16th century uh, Angolan queen who repelled Portuguese colonists for 40 years. That was a fluke that I found that out, but it's wow. actually the same word. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of a nice double meaning for the for the book. Um, yeah, so it's it, it is about trying to give a really good cross section of Africa in in 2010, and and to inspire people to go and see places for themselves and to step in there and 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 understand and really sort of you know sort of. Our job is probably to help facilitate people in those communities to uh, to to run their own lives as we do, <laughs> not not to not to to rule or to um, you know you can't just give people stuff. You've got to actually present a, an opportunity, and, and and these people will run with it. They do They're incredible. So um, you know it, it's yeah. So trying to give a a, re- a realistic perspective. Of Africa, oh, I love 20, it. 20, 20 countries out of fifty-four, but but still, it's it's a pretty good cross section. You know, it's fascinating that you've had the opportunities to to look and to see and to do. And if someone wanted to follow their own passions, as you know, you mentioned, then how would you recommend that they get started? I mean, maybe it's not bicycling across Africa or or Australia, no. but you know, people have dreams and passions and. What can they do to to bring those things to fulfillment? Well, I think they have to be brave enough to to trial things themselves. There's there's no other way to do it. If if you are always having this dream and you're stuck in a cycle of something else, you, you no one else can change that but you. You know, I am lucky, yeah, sure, but but I've actually created that luck as well. So, um, you know, you've got to. You know, I started with something small. You know. Um, and I didn't have the confidence or, or didn't know what I could do on a bike. I had to explore to find out what that was. So I think whatever your passion is, you know, you've got to make some steps. Just have a go. And, and even if it doesn't work, you've tried it. Otherwise, you'll always be wondering. So, so you've, you've got to make those first steps. That's a, it's, it's as simple as that. And, and think about it. It doesn't matter. You know, sure, think about it and think of, and then try it. And if it doesn't work, go back and readjust your plans and then try again. I have found, Kate, that getting started might be the hardest part. But if you dedicate even 15 minutes a day to something, mm. then over time it grows and it builds mm. momentum and mm. things that seemed out of reach um, become much more achievable just totally. because you took action, 15 minutes a day. What, what, whatever it is, it depends. I mean, everyone's needs and wants and passions are different and and – and you, you're dead right. And, you know, well, I could, couldn't have thought of cycling across Africa or, or what I'm planning to do next in Antarctica. You know, I couldn't have ever thought I'd be able to do that. I didn't have the confidence, and and I was affected by the media around me. You know, Africa is a difficult place. Um, you know, you know, when the first time I was cycling through Europe on my own, and, and when my family found out, you know, they were scared. And yeah, I was, right. I was cool because I, I. I I suddenly realized I was in control of all of this and it was, it was, it was great. But, but I, again, I started with a friend, you know, maybe that's another thing, you know, to start with someone else and, and share that with someone else to start with and, 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 and work that way. And, and you learn from each other as well and, and, and you share those experiences and, and, and that 
can also be useful having a partner in doing something, you know, someone who's compatible has similar aspirations. Otherwise it doesn't work. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I think that that's critical is that if you get people involved who um, provide encouragement and accountability and you can do the same for them, it, it helps so much. That... Yeah. I mean, it is about leadership really. It's self leadership first. So if you learn what you can do and you learn and you can pluck up the courage to take those first steps and just do something, even if it's a little, I don't know, a little trip. If it is cycling, you know, go out for an hour, try that, and you try a bit more and try a bit more. And, and you know, I was approached the other day to mentor someone, and and this girl's uh, uh, into birds. She's a she's a biologist and a research biologist, and there's these little tiny birds. I can't even remember the name of them at the moment. It's escaped my mind, and they live on the 80-mile beach in, in Western Australia, up in the Pilbara region in the northwest. And every year they fly all the way to, to northern Siberia and back. And they're tiny. They're about the size of a little chocolate biscuit. That's a, mm. a Tim Tam. We call them Tim Tams in Australia. <laughs> and, and she's got this dream to learn how to fly an ultralight um, plane. And she started those those lessons now. And... She's going to do a trip in Australia first to, from between Melbourne and, and Broome and so sort of around the coast and up to that northwest corner. And then eventually, like she's given herself six years to do this, she she's wants to mimic the flight, the flight path of this little bird to go from 80-mile beach in the northwest of WA and the bird has to fly – I can't remember all the statistics, but it has to stop many, many times because it's only a tiny little bird. So her little ultralight has to stop many, many times in this flight path all the way to the north of uh, northeast Siberia. Cool story, but, uh, but that's her dream. And and she's got this dream, and it, it's a really cool dream, this idea. Um, but you know, so she's now upskilling herself to to learn to fly the ultralight planes and get all this experience and. And I've been helping connect her with, you know, different pilots and different people, and and she's got all she's developed this incredible web of, you know, um, uh, scientists and, you know, how cool is that? And that's a dream. That's oh an yeah. Amazing, you know, so that's not cycling, but I'm still helping her, trying to reach her, her incredible guy. I love that story. So, and a lot of people seem to. So, you know, it depends what your dream is. Have you heard of the Sayuai Iris 4G Action Camera? It's Adventure Sports' first always-connected camera using mobile 4G LTE networks. Push a single button and you kick off a live stream to your friends, family, and fans so they can join you on your crazy adventures. See for yourself how it works. Visit live.sayuai.com and sign up for free. Follow some of their professional mountain bikers, skimboarders, motocross riders, and of course adventurers, and join in on the fun as it happens. That's L-I-V-E dot S-I-O-E-Y-E dot com. Never run out of camp stove fuel again. The 180 stove is a natural fuel stove that eliminates the need to carry heavy, bulky fuel canisters. With a generous 6-inch by 7-inch cooking surface, it folds away into a clean, compact, self-forming case that is small enough to fit inside your pocket. At only 10.4 ounces, the additional weight and space savings allows for other important items in your pack. 
Get more information at 180tac.com and look for it in retailers near you as well as online. I love the way that our modern age has provided so many opportunities. Mm. Before we started the show, I was thinking about the explorers that, you know, first tried to get to the South Pole in Antarctica or the explorers that first tried to circumnavigate the, the planet. Or you have the Amelia Earharts, right? Um, yep. People that, as technology makes it more possible to do things, then there are a greater variety of things to do. There aren't many places left on the planet where you can be the first person there. But you can be the, the first person to fly the ultralight from Australia to Siberia. I mean, that isn't, uh, that's a cool story. But, but also, the world's constantly changing. So when you, you know, we, can, we know every corner by satellite, really, but that's not experiencing the world. Exactly. So exploration can be all about exploring different cultures and things which you can't do by satellite. You know, it can be... All, it, it, it's there are so many challenges still yet to come. We still, you know, how much of the the ocean floor do we know? Not that much, to be honest. So, um, you know, I, my journey across Antarctica won't be groundbreaking in terms of um, the actual route, but I'm I'm doing something pretty cool because I've got you know this very special technology that that's you know brand new and totally developed for my expedition with this um, all wheel drive. Um, polar bike, you know, we've had a couple of versions of it. it it's it's doing pretty well. Um, you know, there there are other way. You know, there are other things that you can do. There are many challenges out there. You've just got to use your imagination a little bit. Well, let's talk more about your Antarctica trip that you have planned. Now, you've been planning this trip for some while, and you're doing fundraising to uh, get the funds necessary for the expedition. But what are let give us the details of what it is you're trying to accomplish there in Antarctica. Yeah, so the expedition is called Breaking the Cycle South Pole, and the plan is to make the first bicycle crossing across the continent, so across the land of Antarctica via the South Pole. So it's about 1,800 kilometers, which is, at a guess, about 1,100 miles, not sure, miles, something like that. Um, it's probably a journey that would take around about six weeks. So for me, compared to everything else, that's quite quick, but obviously this is going to be intense. Um, when I I've had this vision for a long time, but, but, you know, to move on it, I, you know, I've got no experience in extreme cold. I'm very good at the extreme heat. So I've had to, and Australia's not the best place to get your extreme cold experience. So right. I've had to organize, um, so far a couple of expeditions. One, the first one was up in Spitsbergen, which are Norwegian island, well above Norway. They're about level with the top of Greenland. So about eight, almost like 80 degrees north. And, the first trip I did out there, testing the first of my um, all-wheel drive fat bikes made by Steve Christini, based, who's based in Philadelphia. And um, uh, with me, I put people around me that are experts now because this is going to be a really, well, it's an expensive expedition. It's probably a one-off expedition for me. So, so therefore, I have to get all the skills, and those skills I don't have, I have to have other people who can help me develop them or, or can support me so that I can do what I'm good at. So I had Australian uh, 
uh, probably Australia's best known polar explorer, Eric Phillips, as guide up there in Spitsbergen. And then I've got a very top filmmaker, Swiss filmmaker, Claudio Bonplanta, whom if you ever watch Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman's motorbike journeys, long way round and long way down, Claudio was the third motorbike rider who made the films. Um, mm, so that's, that's great. Very, very well known for, but he does a lot of really incredible stuff all the time, all around the world. Most of it's very hard hitting. He's just got back from Iraq. Uh, he's been in Kurdistan for a while making, he's been working with a Kurdish, um, journalist, uh, on and off for, you know, 20 years and he's, he's been going back there and, He's just got back last week. I mean, so I've got Claudio with me. He has to upskill a bit to be an expert in polar regions. So he was learning sort of the tricks of the trade and, you know, he's a very hard worker and incredibly creative. So, um, that was, so was Eric Claudio and for the first trip I had Phil Coates, who's a British remote locations cameraman and filmmaker as well. And he took some awesome pictures and everything. And then, uh, back in, sort of end of April into May, I spent, I did the first bike expedition up in northeast Greenland. Um, so that's three years after my first journey because it's taken that long to find the money and, and put everything together. Um, so this was a really incredible, it was a little bit shorter than I wanted because of the, it was unseasonably warm up there. So there was blizzards at the start, we lost eight days and sort of melting at the finish. But and very soft conditions, but I still got out there for about eight days and um, was able to test myself and the bike and some systems. And you know, it's an incredibly beautiful part of the world in northeast Greenland, um, obviously on, on snow and in the fields and the hills and so on. So that was amazing. Um, so that's, they're the two main shorter expeditions, still costly, but not as costly as Antarctica. Um, and really... You know, what we know is we know that I know it's possible. I've got the technology that's been developed, um, got the systems, ev everything's essentially in place, got the right people. Um, the issue is money, sure. <laughs> as usual. And this is a supported expedition, which is why it becomes expensive. But, you know, I want to use this expedition. You know, communications is very important so to make the film, to be able to communicate, we're looking at live streaming at the moment, potential live streaming. I've just been on Skyping to someone else uh, earlier this evening who have live streaming capabilities down there. Um, and so we really wanted to, to use this. I mean, this, again, this is a huge privilege to be able to do this stuff. So so we really want to make the most of it. And um, so that's why it's supported. I, I don't think I would be able to carry the kind of um, – equipment and food and everything that I need on a bike it's just it's not as efficient as skiing so it, it's it's to, to do 1800 kilometers it just wouldn't be possible so so let's make it really work and let's make the other purposes of the journey work as well so so that's what I'm spending my time doing <laughs> it sounds like a huge monumental effort to put something of this magnitude together yeah they keep, they keep getting harder Kurt yeah <laughs> Well, kudos to you for putting the effort out there to try to make it happen. I just needed to say a little bit of more support. Um, time pressure's against me, but at the same time, I've got some really good systems and people behind me. Um, you know, I'm creating a kind of a crowdfunding campaign that's going to be quite unusual, hopefully be up in the next couple of weeks so by the time this comes out. And essentially what I'm going to be doing, it's about an 1,800-kilometer journey, and I'm going to be offering people the 
opportunity to own one of those kilometers. So, you know, for $100 or different, we'll have different rewards, but that's the idea. And we'll have T-shirts stamped um, stamped with the number kilometer that you own. So you have a pretty cool T-shirt. And, and it'd be really, I think it'd be quite an interesting way. You'll be thanked. You know, if I, especially with my live streaming getting together, you know, I'll be able to thank everyone who supports each kilometer essentially and, and give other options as well. So, so look out for that. So I think that'll be one of the ways it'll help get that revenue up. And then I've got a few big time sponsors that I'm, I'm, I'm potential sponsors, I should say, that I'm, I'm trying to coerce, but I, but I need this money by the end of August. So the pressure's on. Mm, uh, by the end yeah. of August. So. You need to put a premium on that kilometer that crosses the South Pole. <laughs> How cool is that? You know, kilometer number one, you know, there'll be a few cool ones, uh, you know, that'll be worth a bit more. But also, you know, I'll be offering things like, you know, I'll be doing some speaking gigs. And if you get U.S. supporters, I'll, I'll make sure I do speaking a couple of speaking gigs in, a, in, a, in the U.S. I'll do an Australian speaking tour, probably do some speaking gigs in U.K., as well, where you know they're the kind of things I can offer. You know, free tickets to those as well. And and um, what else I've got in there? There's there's a few few goodies I've, I'm I'm just collating. Um, you know, for the for the more expensive ones, it could be like a live live satellite phone call from from Antarctica that you might be getting um, on your kilometer. That would be quite cool. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so I'm just just finalising. Everything now, and then we'll we'll get that out there. Um, and well, let's talk for yeah. a moment about how people can get in touch with you if they want to buy a kilometer or they want to plug into your efforts in some other way. Mm-hmm. Then your website is kateleeming.com, and that's k a t e l e m is in Mary, i n is in Nancy g dot com. So KateLeeming.com, and they can contact you that way. Are there other ways that people should uh, get in touch with you? Well, that's the easiest way because if you just then press the contact button, I get an email. Um, at the moment, the the um, crowdfunding campaign isn't up yet, but it will be probably in the next couple of weeks, so by the time you get to see this. So I, I don't have any more ways of connecting, but to connect with me that way, again, Facebook, Kate M. Leeming. That does it. Um, you can look me up there. Uh, Twitter as well. I'm pretty easy to find if you just Google my name, actually. Mm. So um, you can see some of the other videos. You can see very cool videos from, from Greenland. And um, and you can subscribe to a newsletter after you watch that. So that's all on the homepage of my website. So kateleeming.com is, is, is the way to go right now. And as soon as I get that crowdfunding campaign up, then there'll be certainly links directly from my website as well. So so that would be the best way to do it. Well, Kate, as soon as you have the information about the crowdfunding, send that to me, and I will put those in the show notes as well so people can go to the com and be able to connect with you there too. Brilliant. Or if you just want to sponsor, just let me know. Just, sit, just press contact, and, and I can give you some details. Um, yeah, so that's easy. the internet makes it easy. We can connect globally, which is very cool. Um, you know, I, I forget the name of the gentleman who tried it several years ago, but he was going to do something similar. He just wanted to reach the South Pole on yeah, a bicycle. American guy? Yeah, he was actually um, from Boulder here in Colorado. Yeah, oh, God, his name. 
But what happened to him was that the snow conditions got too soft. Yeah. And he he had to make the decision, I'm going to run out of food. Yeah, and he was he was in tears, poor guy. Yeah, and so it, he had to turn around because he thought he didn't want to be rescued. He says, yeah, I could have made it to the South Pole. I couldn't have made it back again. <laughs> so um, it, it's a tough thing. So logistically, you've targeted what essentially is the summer solstice in Antarctica for your trip, December, January. That's when you have to do it anyway. There's no other chance of doing it. And, yes, there will be soft conditions, unlike um, – oh, this is very annoying because I, I know who he is really well, and it's, it's just his name just escaped my head because um, uh, I was watching him. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm not carrying any weight, which makes it a little easier for me, but I'm also trying to do a long distance and, and have different purposes. So I think he just wanted to be authentically doing it unsupported, unassisted, um, which – that's less important to me. Yes, I want to cycle across, but but I'm not no making not making any bones about it. You know, I'm, it's supported because I have other other purposes. So um, let's talk about your support crew for a moment. What does that look yep. like? Were you talking about snowmobiles or how does that work? No, we're talking about one support vehicle from Arctic Trucks. So it'd be a six wheeler Toyota Hilux. Um, that these guys are the absolute. They're an Icelandic company, and they are the absolute experts in polar driving, and they do it all like every year. You know, they've, they've done these routes many, many, many times. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to be riding in their tracks or anything like that. But it's more about making sure that we can carry all the camera equipment, communications equipment. And I say I'm, I, I don't intend to be carrying anything more than just sort of um, emergency survival stuff on my bike you know and a bit of food and you know if if i get separated then i also you know down clothing so that i can whack that on as quickly as i have to stop so that i don't get cold um and a bit of food and and sort of emergency beacons and things that that's all i'm carrying and probably tiny cameras <laughs> um, oh that sounds so fascinating what temperatures do you expect to encounter down there um Towards the coast, it'll be a little bit warmer, but you know, around about minus fifteen-ish, I think, lower. But um, Antarctica is at quite an altitude, so um, uh, it's around about three thousand meters, just under. Uh, so whatever that is in feet, probably about where you are right now in Colorado, I would have thought quite similar. Um, so what it means is, that as you go up onto the plateau, then it gets colder. So temperatures up there probably average around minus twenty-five to. Th- 30, it is possible that they could go down to about minus 40, but I don't think it would stay down those temperatures for particularly long. Um, if there are blizzards, they tend to like last no more than three days. Um, so it's, it, it, you have to make decisions as, you know, especially with things like visibility to whether you keep going or, or, or stop, um, and ride the storm out. So yeah, it's, Lower down, it could be minus 15, minus 20 at worst, maybe. I'm talking Celsius, of course. Um, yeah, but, but certainly wouldn't be, well, minus 30 starts getting cold, pretty cold. Minus 25 is actually quite manageable. So when you, when I'm cycling it, you get very warm, actually, because it's such hard, it's ridiculously hard work. So one of my biggest challenges, actually, is to prevent, um, body moisture so prevent perspiring in these temperatures and make sure I kind of manage my body perspiration so that I 
because obviously when you stop, that freezes, and that's not a good thing. Sure. Yeah, I would think that would probably be one of the biggest challenges is not getting too hot and making sure that you stay dry. Wow. That that may end up being one of the biggest challenges of the trip. Yeah, well, that's what I've found so far, and especially, well, in Greenland when it was unseasonably warm, you know, I was just wearing a base layer and a shell, and that shell, even when it was had the zips open, I was still perspiring too much. So I, I failed on that account there in Greenland, but Antarctica is obviously going to be quite a bit colder and drier than that sort of wet um, kind of uh, conditions. So, so it won't be quite so bad, but at the same time, it's colder. So I've got to just – I'm talking with – to the um, my clothing sponsor Mont, which are based in Australia, they don't make great um, polar gear. But the thing is, this is sort of unprecedented as trying to um, get the right clothing design for these situations. So, so there's a few things that need tweaking before, and we've talked about them um, be- be- before Antarctica. But but it's kind of in hand. I believe it's all in hand. And uh, well, you know, it, it it is a real challenge. It's from Greenland, I know I can make some better clothing selections than I had there, and and I kind of that was part of the point of you know training in Greenland is is to to get some of those ideas and get that experience and exercising in the extreme cold. Well, wow, how fascinating! You know, an expedition of this size it does take a lot of planning and experience and and tweaking to get mm-hmm. things together. And I I know you've worked really hard at that and the fundraising. You know, mm. that what a huge challenge it is to come up with the funds to make an expedition like this possible. And, you know, you're always trying to build awareness and educate people on what you discover. What is your focus for Antarctica? Yeah, so um, this time I'm, I'm creating my own foundation called Breaking the Cycle Foundation. It's kind of marrying my passions of what I... I seem to be working towards every time. So I always make an educational contribution. So here I'm, I'm really talking about education for leadership. And I actually am a, a scout ambassador here in, in Australia as well, which is all about leadership as well. So, it, so we're creating some real educational contributions for Antarctica, but also for the future. So education for leadership. And the second part is to support some of those community initiatives that I learned so much about in Africa. That, that's kind of what the foundation will do at the start. And then in the future, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I'll keep supporting education for leadership. And it might be that I'm, I might support other parts of the world that I travel to, but, but it's, it, it's really about supporting, um, communities that I learn about that, that maybe need a little bit of extra support. And, um, yeah, so, so that's, that's where it's coming together. So that foundation hasn't been, it's in the wings. It's it's. I've got some people to do all the legalities. It's it's kind of there, but I haven't done it yet because I just need to get that funding. For, the big focus is getting that funding first. Sure. Um, and, and the foundation. I mean, that's something that'll stand me instead for the future, so that I can continue to. Um, you say I don't have to align myself with other organisations. I can choose who I support, and 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 I can collect donations. So I would be collecting you know, uh, support during the journey, during the Antarctic journey for those purposes. Well, Kate, I would like to point out that you have done an awful lot for education and for the world and awareness. And um, I think you've been a little bit humble. You haven't told us a lot of the details of that, but you actually received an honorary doctorate 
for your education efforts. Tell us how that transpired. <laughs> yeah, so I was pretty, I was extremely honoured myself. Uh, last year, I, I did an Australian speaking tour. I have a, a really nice partnership with a an adventure, sustainable adventure travel company called um, World Expeditions, which are based here, but they they have offices all around the world in the UK, the US, Europe, etc. And they organized a speaking tour, which I, I went through six Australian cities. The final one was in my home where I grew up in, in Perth at the University of Western Australia. And because I studied education there and the faculty sort of really promoted it, Nadine came along and introduced me and, and, and I had another event there as well. And she was just really taken by my story. I did an hour and a half lecture, showed footage and all that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, out of that, they very sneakily gathered together a whole lot of information and put my name up to the Senate. And, and suddenly, you know, last November, December, I received a, a letter from the Chancellor of the university and, uh, uh, you know, offering me a, an honorary doctorate of education. So, um, yeah, I was very, very honoured. And so I received that in March and gave the graduation address there to about a 1,000 people. Um so that was, yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> well, congratulations. It's not, I, I things to get recognized, but at the same time, it was, it was a really special occasion. And imagine my, my parents were really proud and some of my close friends that came along, so, and family. So that was, that was very nice. Well, I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. And I think you deserve the recognition for what you're trying to do and what you have done. So, well, we're running out of time, Kate. I really, enjoy visiting with you. I'd like to hear a whole lot more, and I know that our listeners probably would too. They can go to your website, they can see pictures, yeah. and get much more of the story. They can even, if if they would like a copy of Njinga, actually, there are copies available in the US and the UK, but only from our website, so you can just order it through there, and, and, and you'll receive one. Um, and obviously, Australia as well, that's 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 easily done. And um, So, yeah, so... Um, yeah, find out more, go to my site. Yeah, that's wonderful. And once again, the site is kateleeming.com. That's right. And if you really can't remember that, just Google my name. <laughs> <laughs> That'll <laughs> work. Come up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. very cool. Kate, thank you so much for being on the Adventure Sports Podcast today. And thank you what you are for what you are doing to thank, help benefit the world, you know, teach us about the, the challenges on this planet. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of challenges, but um, if we all get involved and, and we can explore the world, else, world ourselves, I think we're in a better position to to make better decisions and to encourage, as I say, the next generation to do so, and we'll all be better off. So um, it's been a lot of fun having a chat with you, Kurt, and, and um, we'll, I guess we'll keep in touch. Oh, yeah, you bet. And to all of our listeners out there, until the next show, get out there and have some fun. Brilliant. Brilliant. 